Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Motors and Martinis. And as usual, your two very entertaining and oddly interesting hosts. I am Carrie Hubbard of Carrie's Garage YouTube channel, and with me today is... Brian Rab Davis of Malays Motors and uh, general man about town and gutter. Well, it's been a little bit of time since our last episode, as life is, and the holidays, of course, that always becomes a really crazy, hectic time. I don't know. For me, I am fairly glad the holidays are over and we can go back to some level of, I'll say, air quotes, normality. How was, uh, how was that all for you, Brian? Well, the, <clears throat> I think, like everyone, I do find the holidays somewhat stressful. Anticipating any big event kind of uh, sucks a lot of the life out of me and the holidays are no exception and and I do experience relief when they are behind us. My husband on the other hand is just the opposite. When we were cleaning up the Christmas decorations he was like oh I'm sad we're putting away Christmas and I'm like really I get sad when we put it out because it just means more work but anyway I love him even if he's a Christmas queen. Okay he's not like a Christmas queen. He's not one of those guys who has a dozen Christmas trees and they're up all year and everything, but he does get a lot of pleasure from the holidays. So I guess I I enjoy it vicariously through him. But yeah, I'm 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 kind of glad the the little glass balls and lighted garlands are are boxed and safely in the basement again. So did you guys host a Christmas gathering of sorts? We did, or at least that's what I'm told. I don't remember a whole lot of it. Uh we usually have uh, our holiday party uh, first weekend in December. And the instant the house gets crowded with our guests, my social anxiety kicks into overdrive. And I prepared for it this year by making a bowl of an 18th century punch recipe that was uh, dark rum, cognac, lemon sugar, some black tea, and a good healthy slug of Calvados. I just kept getting back into that until I don't remember a damn thing. So I'm told I had a great time at the party. And by the way, I felt the next day I, I must have done, but... Uh, yeah, all I got to say is those uh, those colonials, they knew how to drink. Oh, they did. I mean, what else were they going to do? But uh, nice. That sounds... Oh, they would sh sh shame each other, go to church. Shame um, each other some more. Um, uh, oh, enslave people. They were good at that as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, 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 and subjugating the native peoples. Also had that down. But I'll stop myself before I get overly political. And I enjoyed making that historic recipe and thinking that, gosh, George and Martha Washington probably got soused on this stuff 250 years ago. No wonder they were so insane. At least his teeth didn't hurt afterwards. Oh, I bet. So out of my own curiosity, where did you get said recipe? I think I might know the answer, but I'm curious. Well, actually, the recipe is Fish House Punch, and there's a lot of variations, and I actually found it in one of my cookbooks, um, but I also did some online research and, uh, yeah, loaded statement, and uh, found a few other variations. Most of them are pretty similar. Um, the recipe I was working from in the cookbook did not call for black tea, but many of the recipes I found elsewhere did, uh, so I chose to use some black tea. I Like, it... it cuts the spirits and lends a certain body to the punch that really just makes the flavors of the various alcohols come together well. Uh, so if you're going to make a, a fish house punch, I recommend make, uh, using some cold black tea as a mixer. I used an Irish breakfast, uh, which is a very malty Assam-based tea, and, and you'd want to use something like that. Uh, here on Motors, Martinis, and Cooking. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say, let's branch out and we'll add a cooking episode. Good note. 
Lord knows I quite enjoy it myself. And, you know, it's definitely a part of the festivities. I actually, this year, kind of a two-part thing, it was my first real sober Christmas. I'm taking some medication that uh, drinking on is not particularly pleasant. And uh, we did a My mother would be so disappointed in you. <laughs> well, what a different time it was. Um, we do a lot with Zach's family. They have a lot of family gatherings and stuff during the holidays. And for Christmas Eve, I actually made a proper, quite traditional English mincemeat pie. Not with any meat, though. It was more of a modernized version of mincemeat. But uh, very few people had had it. Only a couple of people knew what it was. And... There was quite a interesting fascination, and a lot of people were quite surprised by it, and I greatly enjoyed it, so it was wonderful. Now, I will say, mince pie is a favorite of mine, and uh, it can be uh, more medieval Tudor with meat, or it can be a more modern, where it's basically all you know raisins and apples and spices. I like either or. Uh, now, did you make yours English style where they're little handheld pies? Or did you make American style where you cut it in slices? I made one large American style. I didn't feel that uh, ambitious to make a bunch of little ones. Yeah, I think they did it that way in ye olde England when they had a lot of domestic help. Yes. And, by the way, on that fun fact, that's been my most recent uh, uh, saying since we watched Young Sheldon, which is a great show mincemeat pie in the 12th century was actually 90 percent meat and the rest was sugar fruits and things and it was a natural form of a preservative to bake it so you could maintain your meat longer and be able to eat it and then by the 19th century they pretty much got away from that it was less than 10 percent meat and nowadays you know most modern mince meats don't have meat in it but i have made a couple properly with more of a sweet meat and I think is quite pleasant. And I like many different kinds of meat and minced pies myself. Oh, yeah, same, same, same. I am a, I am a big fan. I only like two, actually, I only like two kinds of pie, hot and cold. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny because I actually don't like cake. I'm not a cake person, but pies, I will tear up a pie. I'll tell you what. God, I sound like a woman from the 50s. Have a martini, smoke a cigarette, and eat a pie. Ah! No, no, no. A woman from the 50s would have had a martini, smoked a cigarette, and baked a pie, and then taken a diet pill and smoked another cigarette if she felt peckish. Okay, that is a good point. But at least I can fantasize. Yeah, right. Yeah, so. And actually, actually, uh, to, you know, throw back to an episode, uh, a couple episodes back, one of the gifts I received for Christmas was B. Dylan Hollis's cookbook. Oh, bless. I adore him. He's fantastic. And who else couldn't oh. couldn't love somebody who bakes the way he does historically and daily drives a sixty four Cadillac? So yeah. Now again, I still want to see an X rated, uh, you know, B Dylan Hollis with Max Miller kind of episode. Whipped cream goes places. It could be very entertaining. Daddy and Twink kind of action going on. I am really going I, off on a path that is not I, appropriate for an automobile history podcast. I think, but. I think I need to turn the fan up a little bit as I thought. Anyways, but now we'll get into talking about something petrol-related, which there's many things to talk about. Um, anyways, besides the whole holidays, how is everything going for you up there, over there, eastbound? Oh, oh, eastbound and down, everything's great, other than the weather today, which has been absolutely miserable. It's like... Frankly, it's like London in June. In other words, it's been raining all day, and the yard is kind of a lake, um, and it's just just kind of generally hateful. But other than that, I can't complain. I saw you uh, guys went on a little adventure in your most recent acquisition of an automobile. 
Uh, yeah, we did. So my new daily is the the Buick LeSabre, and I've had to you know go through some sort of fettling with that, uh, getting it up to to daily driver snuff. Even though it's a low mileage car, there's always some things. But here's here's the uh, the kicker. So our daily driver is the uh, 22 Ford Bronco Sport, and it's been a really good car, except Ford apparently got a uh, I don't know if, how I how to describe it, but anyway, a, a batch a batch of subpar water pumps for those and at 42,000 miles the water pump started leaking so we had to press the the Buick into service to go up to Connecticut for the holidays and uh, it, it did fine the the Ford is actually still at the dealership waiting for a water pump because uh, there's a back order and they, I don't know if they're coming from overseas or just quite what but uh, yeah we're waiting for a damn water pump I was like yes let me guess there's some sort of a shortage on water pumps at least there is a 60,000-mile powertrain warranty, so it will be covered under warranty, but uh, having to wait for the, for the car to get fixed has been a pretty big inconvenience. Speaking of uh, cooling systems, I shall discuss the wonderful saga of the Cadillac diesel issues I have been recently having. Nothing to do with the car oven in itself, more or less my, um, I wouldn't say frustration, but the... Uh, adventurous entertainment of having a very obscure and unique vehicle where parts don't exist uh several months ago the radiator on the cadillac started leaking and uh that kind of concerned me because of course they don't exist you can't get them anywhere so my my primary options were to get a custom radiator made entirely to match the right size because on the diesel and some of the V8 Cadillacs, they have an oil cooler and a transmission cooler in the radiator. And of course, within my wonderful, wonderful luck, 85 was the first year General Motors used a plastic end tank radiator, which is what my car has. So with only 92 of them ever being produced, I did find there is an aftermarket listing from FVP, which is a rock auto company really, for that radiator, but of course, none are available. So. I ended up getting a radiator for a much later, like late 90, late 80s, early 90s uh, DeVille with a V8 that has an oil cooler and a transmission cooler. And I went to go put it in and discovered the coolers are on the wrong side. They're flipped. Anyways, so the radiator on the Cadillac, um, I basically am going to use the newer version and i disconnected the oil cooler entirely and ended up looping it back into itself because realistically i'm not putting the car under a heavy load and i really don't need the i mean it'd be nice to have the oil cooler and at some point in the future i'm going to put an external one but then i just made some nice metal lines and relocated the transmission cooler to the other side and fingers crossed in the next couple of days the cadillac will be up and running and i'll be able to enjoy it once again oh excellent that was a uh, great way to kind of improvise there with the parts you could get and yeah, if you're not going to beat the hell out of it, you're probably all right without an engine oil cooler, uh, and you can certainly add add one somewhere later, and it's probably not a bad idea. Yeah, and plus, you know, I really drive that thing like an old woman anyways. I'm very gentle with it, and I don't really put a lot of strain on it, so my stress of having the oil cooler is not really a big deal, and the radiator I got from AutoZone, it was like $220 compared to the something like six or $700 to get a custom aluminum one made that fits the car, plug and play, and trying to you know save a little bit of money where i can get in the zone auto zone 
No, they do not sponsor us. But if they'd like to, please drop us an email. And if they offer a slight discount, that would be greatly appreciated because Lord knows I spend my fair share of money buying parts for all of these projects I have. What else? Um, oh, I've bought a new car recently. New. I'll use quotes for that because you know how I am with automobiles. But um, my unfortunate discovery of not being able to daily drive the Cadillac diesel as I wanted and my primary other vehicle was the smart car, which, bless its heart, I adore the smart car dearly. It is a wonderful car. It gets great fuel mileage, but uh, I have since taken a job selling insurance again, and my commute is about 40 minutes, and driving across town on the highway in the smart car was murder, but I did sure did enjoy 38 miles to the gallon. So I bought a 2006 Mercedes-Benz E350 station wagon. Nice. It is a lovely automobile in a pewter color with beige interior, so it's about as old grandpa status you can possibly get, but it's it's a wonderful car that is incredibly comfortable and gets relatively good fuel mileage for what it is, and it's got, actually it has built-in navigation and Bluetooth and CD changer and heated seats and shplucha and all that stuff, and it's a wonderful car. That's pretty much what I've been daily driving currently. Nice. <clears throat> Very good. Um, uh, that's an inline six still, or is it a V6 at that point? That's the four cam V6 with eight spark, no, 12 spark plugs. So it's the tool, the two uh, plug cylinder heads. So tune-ups are a little spicy, but, uh, they're fairly efficient cars and it has the seven speed automatic transmission. But I found out 06 was the only year that you could get the seven speed without formatic. And I did not want all wheel drive or formatic. So it is a rear wheel drive seven speed V6. Well, that should work. That spe- Although speaking of tune-ups, um, I was experiencing some drivability issues with the Buick, um, uh, like uh, part throttle acceleration uphill. I was getting this kind of a slight bucking, and what I thought it was at first was the automatic, you know, the automatic lockup torque converter, uh, lock, you know, engaging and disengaging. And I was like, ah, fuck! I hope I don't have transmission problems. But what it turned out to be, and this is a lesson to us all: when you have a drivability problem check the ignition first um <clears throat> the electrodes on the coil packs which were factory original and 25 years old were all rusted underneath the ignition wires so there was just not a good spark so i mean uh, ignition coils for a 99 buick park avenue are 16 bucks a piece on rock auto who does not sponsor us but if they would like to please drop us an email um so i ordered new new ign- plugged wires and and uh coils and replaced everything the the factory original ignition wires had been on so long that i actually had to break a couple of the spark plugs because i couldn't get the boot to come off the the plug yeah that has been on that yeah wow and uh it what's the what's the old term what thinks simple or i, I don't remember starts it's ki- ki- it's kiss Keep it simple, stupid. That's what it is. Thank you. Keep it simple, stupid. I don't even want to admit how many times I have ended up doing something ridiculous on an automotive repair because my mind went to something way deeper than it should have been. Something simple. Oh, like like a good one for you. Uh, Zach has a 72 VW bus he bought in high school, and it has been quite a pain in my rear end fixing other people that are expert Volkswagen issues, but... I had one problem about a year ago that 
kind of made me want to hit my head against a wall because I was having clutch disengagement problems. And you put your, you push the clutch pedal down and it felt like the clutch was either gone or it snapped a cable, which I don't know, VW bus, it has a ridiculously long clutch cable anyway. So they snap. Okay. I went to go put a clutch cable in it and it was all still connected. So I looked at it, I looked at it and I ended up pulling the engine because I was convinced there was a problem within the bell housing that maybe, cause I have seen throw out bearings disintegrate or the fingers in a clutch, uh, the throat, the, um, the fork. Well, yeah. The, the fork, I've had a fork break in a Volkswagen. I've also had the little fingerly dues on a pressure plate. That's what I was looking for fail. So I took it all apart. I ended up replacing the throwout bearing because it was a little noisy. So at least I didn't do it for nothing. And then discovered that the threads on the clutch cable where the little wing nut connects to the arm had just barely worn enough that it, it pulled the, the wing nut just enough to where it was not engaging the clutch. So new clutch cable, threw in, a, threw in a new nut, all is well. But if I would have just looked at something a little bit more on the simple side, it would have saved me quite a lot of frustration by having to pull a Type 4 VW engine. Well, no, and I get it. Because I spent hours, you know, the, I've got the factory shop manual for the Buick, and it's in two volumes because by the late 90s, cars were pretty sophisticated. And there's massive flow charts about you know transmission issues and if then this if then that and i'm like oh god it might be a faulty torque converter and i'm going through oh maybe it's one of these solenoids that controls the shifting and i'm you know i spent you know a couple hours poring over this manual wondering what kind of horrors i was in for only to find it was a rusty ignition coil electrode so it goes well, at least it was a simple and easy fix, real, besides the, the old uh, spark leads, but at least it was easy. That's a wonderful thing. Yeah, and actually for a transverse mounted V6 engine, it was I, I was able to get to the rear plugs nearest the firewall relatively easily. Like, you know, you need a UJ or whatever, but it was not that big a deal, especially compared to some, some GM cars. Like I did uh, plugs and wires on a, uh, it was a, a Chevy Venture van when I was running the shop with dipshit and uh, <clears throat> with those you have to undo a motor mount and then you take a ratchet strap and you kind of pull the engine forward toward the radiator to 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 get access to the plugs and you can still barely reach them. Well that's in the same instance as either the celebrity's worse because the engine compartment is a little bit tighter than the Cadillac but with the 4.3 V6 diesel, it is anything up against the firewall is damn near impossible to get to. And on the Celebrity, doing glow plugs on that rear bank is it, it, it's it's infuriating. You have to take the because on the the A body cars it has the wishbone motor mount that sits up top. Mm -hmm. You have to take that off, disconnect. Sometimes they recommend disconnecting the uh, what is it the steering shaft, and you take the whole engine and rotate it forward to barely yep. squeeze your hands in to get the glow plugs. And God forbid anybody put in a not great quality glow plug and it's because sometimes uh, if they overheat they'll pop and swell the tips and to get glow plugs out of a cylinder head that has swollen tips that sounds so inappropriate is an absolute uh, i mean nightmare i've uh it's it, it it brings me quite amount of stress thinking about it because sometimes you actually have to take a slide hammer and one with like a little jaw grip on it put it on the glow plugs and just beat the ever loving hell out of them to get out I was going to say, you're, you're continuing to dig yourself a hole there with, with uh, possibly inappropriate commentary, but I'm not going to stop you. Uh, but my neighbor, how do you get a slide hammer back there when the engine is, you know, you're up against the fly firewall? You don't. You have to pull the engine. 
have to pull the drivetrain ah. if it's that scenario. But thankfully, uh, <clears throat> well, the celebrity does need glow plugs, but thankfully, um, all six glow plugs are bad, and they are the good quality glow plugs that have just failed from age or over usage, and they have not swollen. So, but since I was able to get it started and discover that it does have the failure of the head gasket, I'm really hoping it's not a cracked cylinder head, which is a common issue on the aluminum head V6 diesels. Um, I'm still have to pull the engine anyways to take it apart, inspect it, put new gaskets in it, and clean it up, uh, which is a hopefully fingers crossed something i do here soon but that's you know being of a economy car of its time the whole drivetrain pack goes from up underneath the car so i gotta jack it up pull everything and drop it down and then pull the engine out so i can do the repairs properly because you can do head gaskets on a 4.3 v6 diesel front wheel drive car in the car but it is not an enjoyable activity and i'd rather not uh, uh punch things and make myself bleed more than is necessary well, at least if you pull the whole engine, I know it'll be an epic pain in the ass, but that does give you a good chance to kind of clean clean the engine bay and maybe uh, hit the engine with a fresh coat of gloss black and, you know, at least make it look a little nicer for your effort. Oh, yeah, and it'll get very nicely pressure washed. Uh, I'll have to go in because, of course, all of the rubber vacuum hoses that lead everywhere are perished and cracked and broken, so I'll have to be very diligent about documenting everything replacing all the rubber lines clean everything really thoroughly and i am going to put more than enough effort and energy into an 83 chevy celebrity but you know as i've said in the past it's a 54,000 mile original southwest car that was bought in albuquerque and it has no rust it's never been an accident and it is a sea of brown and you know if it was just a normal celebrity with a 2.8 or even an Iron Duke, whatever. But, you know, the the oddity of it being a factory diesel is just so unique that I really do want to save it, preserve it, and get it back on the road just because people get weirded out and like, oh, my God, it's a diesel. That's so wild. And for me, it's the fascinating history of it that really drives me to want to bring it back to life. You know, you could have Doug DeMuro come over, and for once... Don't ever say that once, name ever again. <laughs> for once, the car actually would be quirky. Oh, oh I, I don't know what to say to that. <clears throat> but so, yeah, that's uh, that's that. And then, oh, I was going to ask you, how particularly familiar are you with 80s Ford fuel injection systems? Um, I know the one on my Lincoln seems to work all right, and that's about as far as it goes. And what years are you Lincoln again? Uh, 89. I might have you do me a favor if you're up to it for just a simple um, diagnosis purpose for my vehicle. I'm having a very severe um, cold start problem with my Lincoln. Well, my Lincoln, my, with my Mercury, but you know, it's all Panther platform, whatever. Yeah, it's all the same. Um, you know, five liter fuel injected, whatever. It has a new fuel pump in it, fuel filter, and I'm getting adequate fuel pressure, but I cannot for the life of me get it to start when it's cold. So I'm trying to diagnose the uh, fuel injection system to see if it is properly enriching itself. Because as far as I understand, um, the ECM will take the temperature reading and just adjust the fuel injector pulse ratio to inject a little bit more fuel to enrich in the mixture. And the idle control motor will just hold open the idle a little bit more. But I have a feeling that possibly my temperature sensor is bad. So I'm just trying to find the um, ohm range of the temperature sensor for the, uh, the ECM and what it should be reading. I, I can do that. I'll, I'll, I'd want to, actually, I can probably find it because I've got the Lincoln's shop manual, but as, as long as I know what. Yes, if yeah, you have so the Lincoln. 
the if you have the shop manual, it should give you uh, temperature sensor ohm readings. That's really all I need is to figure out, uh, you know, like cold to hot, what the ohm difference is to see if it's getting the right reading at cold. Yeah, because I'm assuming that that's basically a thermistor and that's how it works. Yeah, it's because everything on the Ford injection system of that era is the five volt reference system. So the ECM uh, sends a primary five volt signal to all the sensors and then the resistance of the sensors and the temperatures of the thermistor will then, the ohm reading will change that voltage and it'll go back to the computer and that's how it will adjust accordingly. Got it. So like if it gets all five volts back, that means it's probably up to normal temperature. And yeah, you know, I, I get it. But the it should it should give me a, a very, a, it's going to tell me what the resistance reading should be for a given temperature or just with the engine off at, at uh, you know, normal temperature. So we'll, yeah, I don't see why I can't do that. Cool. Yeah, if you could Got reference it. that. Because oddly enough, out of everything I have in this hoard of a house we have, of all of my books, I mean, I've got a factory service manual for the 85 Cadillac diesel. I've got Subaru Brat, every weird French thing you could imagine. I don't have a single piece of workshop information for an 80s Ford Panther platform. I have nothing. And online, it's not easy to get, actually. There's not a lot of online PDFs on that. Well, the internet will give you all the information in the world, just not that, that you, not the information you actually need, especially now. Uh, you know, because I think Google's plan all along was to become the dominant search engine and then just basically become advertising. And that's why, you know, the first page is things you have to pay for rather than what you were actually looking for. I, I, I do kind of miss the dial-up days when the, the internet was full of nerds who just wanted to have fun with it and, and not so much business. Ah, uh, yes, the good old days of everyone uploading things for free where you could get lots of references and yes. But yeah, whenever you get a chance, if you could look at that shop manual, that would be fantastic sure. to try and help me figure this out. No, no problem. I'm happy to do that. Nice. Let's see what else wondrous things. Oh, we also actually funny enough, we ended up with two vehicles in the past couple of months. We ended up buying Zach a new vehicle because um, he had had to say in the past uh, a 2000 BMW 750 IL, which we've spoke about the V12 7 series which I put a lot of time and energy into fixing and we started having transmission problems and, you know, it was pulling my hair out. So we needed to get something more practical. And he had been borrowing his parents' vehicle, which was one of those Ford Explorer sport treks, which is a four-door Ford Explorer with that teeny little, like, forfeit bed on the back. Very odd Oh, vehicle. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were kind of so, kind of fun at the time. Yeah, they were fun. I mean, it's hard to call it a truck, I didn't say but... It's what? a truck, Look at it. Truck. It's a truck. Okay. But it was a vehicle his grandpa actually bought brand new, and his parents let him drive it for a while. But, you know, we have a yard full of cars, but everything was in certain level of disrepair and as far as a reliable vehicle. So somehow, by the grace of the automotive gods, I was able to sell the V12 7 Series for a fairly substantial amount of money, which blew my mind. And we ended up finding, well, I ended up finding a 2004 GMC Yukon XL four-wheel drive 1500 at an auction that was um, a no-runner because it was out of gas. So, so back to keep it simple, stupid. Yes, and it was one of those... Um, and, and I figured for the price we got it, it was very inexpensive. And it's red leather heated seats, uh, very nicely equipped, you know, four-wheel drive, half-tone with a 5.3, which, I mean, the er, that era of General Motors products are absolutely fantastic for those engines. And, uh, oh, yeah, the powertrain's great. 
oh yeah, the gas gauge read a quarter. And so they're like, I don't know, it probably needs a fuel pump, which I'm going to put one in anyways, because the, the sending unit is bad, obviously. I put five gallons of gas in it and the damn thing fired right up, ran fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say that the, the, the 5.3, and that would still have the four-speed automatic behind it, right? It does. It has the 4L60E. Yeah, I mean, that's a quarter-million-mile drivetrain right there. No problem. Oh, yeah. And this one has 240,000 miles now. And one of the kind of telltale signs on that era of GM engine is always by looking at the oil pressure. You know, you have oil pressure, but you can tell when, the, when those um, kind of – it's not technically an LS, but it is. It's in that merger. It's the – I forgot what they call that particular one, but we know when they get up there in age, your uh, oil pressure starts, you know, slowly decrease. You'll have fluctuating oil pressure. I tell you what, this damn thing has incredibly solid oil pressure. It runs brilliantly, and I just need to put the fuel pump in it so the gas gauge will work correctly. And I uh, did a little tune-up on it, oil change, and he's been driving it all the time. And it's it's a great truck. And if we've got what 4,000 bucks into it maybe. And you know, it's got the nice alloy wheels and it does have its original third row leather seat, you know, which those are just detachable. So sometimes you find those and they're missing entirely and it's all there. I even got the Sirius XM radio working in the factory head unit. Oh, sweet. And hell four, four grand, four grand is nothing. That's what's kind of like with the, you know, I mean, that's, that's in the ballpark of what I'm in the Buick for. And it was the same thing. It's like, you have 3,800 V6, comfortable, decent mileage, Sure, that works for me. That fits my budget nicely. And granted, the only one gripe he has on it, one of his requirements on getting, and this is the GMT 800 era of General Motors SUVs, is he really wanted either a Suburban or a Yukon, but you know, had to be a Yukon XL. It had to be the full-size one, not a Tahoe or the small Yukon, but he wanted the barn doors on the back. This has a lift gate. That's really his only big gripe on it is it doesn't have barn doors. But I told him for now, we can live with it because it works really well. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like an excellent, excellent truck to run around. It would also function. Do you still have that diesel Suburban? And I will until the day I die. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, because you could use uh, Zach's new truck as a tow rig, but if you got the diesel Suburban, like, that's probably even better. Or at least as well, good. Well, that's what I was going to say. Actually, his Yukon XL will tow significantly better than the Suburban because the Suburban has two very... I wouldn't say faults to it, one of which has nothing to do with the vehicle of in itself, but I'm at altitude, so we're at like 5,300-ish feet in Albuquerque. The Suburban is a naturally aspirated diesel, so it does well on oven in its own, but it's also really designed, because it's a half-ton four-wheel drive, it's a people hauler. It's got three, 308 gears in the back, and with the naturally aspirated diesel, towing with it is actually miserable, because it just... It doesn't have the gearing and really the oomph to get out of its own way. It'll do it, but it does it very slowly. Yeah, and that 5.3 is actually pretty sparky. So, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. So, to say the least, uh, if we need to tow anything, I'll probably end up stealing his Yukon XL because it'll probably do quite a bit better. Now, at some point, I have considered putting uh, re-gearing the Suburban and putting 373s on it, and I have actively been looking for a Banks turbo kit for the 6.2. Not to run much boost, but just enough to kind of help with that altitude compensation, which they do come alive when you give it four or five pounds of boost. You know, I seem to recall a uh, an old episode of Motor Week where they were running a diesel bourbon of that era with a with a, a turbo kit. 
Yes, they loved their 6.2 diesel, and they had the – because back in the day, you could actually get a fa- – uh, I wouldn't call it factory, but it was a uh, bank's joint effort with General Motors, and you they um, they did a dealer-installed six, uh, turbo kits on those Suburbans or any of the 6.2 trucks. And um, I have a couple of friends with factory 6.2s with the bank's kit on it, and they really do come alive. And yeah, Motor Trend – they, uh, they did the review when they first came out with the GMT 400 Suburbans, and they said how seriously disappointed they were that you couldn't get a diesel in the very early of that era of Suburbans. And then I think a year or two later, they came out with it with the 6.5 turbo diesel. Um, but really, the Suburban's best at just being a people hauler because, you know, it's a big vehicle, four-wheel drive. But you can get that thing up on the highway, set the cruise at 70, 75, and it will achieve 22 to 23 miles to the gallon without really any effort which compared to like a 350 a 350 fuel a suburban that's significant oh that's huge that's almost double i mean if you a 350 fuel injected suburban i mean you might get 13 on the highway maybe on a good day but the diesel will achieve into the 20s and the diesel suburban came with the largest fuel tank available at its time it has a 40 gallon fuel tank which good lord bend over and take it when you feel that fuel Fill that thing up. Oh, my God. Oh, God. The, the local Sunoco must just laugh when they see you coming with that thing. Well, the funny thing is, because I really don't drive it all that often anymore as much as I used to. I've only – I bought that thing December of 2017, and I've filled it up three times. And one of them was because I bought it in Phoenix, and we drove it back to Albuquerque. So I filled it up in Phoenix. I filled up again in Flagstaff just to be sure. And from Flagstaff to Albuquerque, I used a quarter tank of fuel. God, that's seriously impressive for a vehicle of that size and weight. And you're dragging around four-wheel drive. And even if you're not using it, that that's going to affect your fuel economy negatively. So that's yeah, that's that's quite uh, quite the quite the rig there. Oh yeah. So you know, like I say, the my suburban is a last year square body, overdrive, captain seats, console, AC. I have the rear AC unit because that's the only option it wasn't ordered with because it was bought brand new by a dealership in Bozeman, Montana as a dealer service shuttle. So it's got the three rows and they opted for the additional rear heat option, which up there makes sense. But I've got all of the stuff with the color matched interior panels to install the rear air conditioning unit, which I plan on doing sometime in the near future. But um, the Suburban is one of those vehicles that I chased for years. It is one of my very beloved vehicles, and I will I will drive it until you cannot drive such a vehicle or I'm in the grave, and that's the only time I'll ever get rid of it. I know, which is one of the things I think about. I, I'm kind of... One of the things I've learned is if I like it, eventually popular taste or and or legislation will conspire to... to uh, uh, take it from my grasp. Like as a, for instance, I'm I'm a big fan of traditional department stores where they're beautifully decorated, heavily staffed, and you know you can find what you want. You get hell, a beautiful, unobtrusive service, and you know those things are still around. Like if you go to maybe Bloomingdale's, Bloomies is pretty close in the U.S. But you know there was a time when every town had a nice, a decent size, had a nice department store. Well, between changing fashions and taste and the economic realities of the present day and Amazon, poof, those are all gone. And I feel like it's going to be the same with, with cars, never mind electric propulsion. I, I, I do think self-driving is going to, going to eventually win out because every time I'm on the road, especially out here in the mid-Atlantic, I'm, I'm, I think to myself, God, these people are awful. A computer can't possibly do any worse at driving. 
ain't that the truth? The God, the amount of just, and I don't know, a lot of it too is the, just the pure ability for people to be distracted while driving too. And the, I would say it's far and few between the general fact that back in the day, you know, you drove because you had to go places, but driving was definitely a lot more enjoyable for people. It was a lot more of a, a thing to do. Let's go drive, let's go somewhere. And now a lot of people with these appliance vehicles, you know, with all their touch screens and all this stuff, you know, they just drive to get places and um, definitely has increased the distracted driving of people that just drive horrendously. Oh yeah. It's, it's a real problem everywhere, but I, I, I observe it so much here in the mid Atlantic and uh, I've gotten to my, my gen, like I, start having anger just getting on the road because I know that my progress is going to be impeded on by some brainless fuckwit who doesn't understand what they're doing and causes a problem that affects my ability to go where I want to go and everyone else's. And, it, and I, so, I'm like, so I'm like already primed to hate everyone and it takes so much of the joy out of driving. Um, when I was back in California, well, actually... Uh, this was in 2022, uh, uh, November 2022. I was in Las Vegas for SEMA, and from Las Vegas, I drove to California to see friends and family, and I kind of took the long way through the desert, and I drove for mile after mile after mile and didn't see a car, and it was glorious. I turned on my music. I was alone with my thoughts. I got to just relish traveling on a road that was mine and mine alone. The only fly in this ointment is it was some miserable Kia Hyundai thing with a CVT. And just as soon as I'd get in my my, my reverie of enjoying this trip, I'd, I'd step on the gas or and it would just sort of, uh, oh God, why can't you be a step gear transmission? Or even better, a Continental Mark III with a 460 under the hood. But even still, even still, it was so beautiful. So beautiful to drive through the desert and have the place to myself. That sounds wonderful. I have been due for a road trip to just go out somewhere in the middle of nowhere and just go enjoy a nice long drive. I've, I've been wanting to do that, grab some of my camera equipment and just go drive somewhere just out in the middle of nowhere and just go enjoy the drive and take some wonderful pictures. I think I'm due for that soon. Oh, well, you shouldn't. And living in Albuquerque, you can probably drive a few miles out of town and and find that kind of isolation, I would think. Oh, it's yeah, it's fairly common. There's a lot of areas that 20, 30 minutes you're out of normal civilization. You can go out into the, the deepest depths of many different places. And New Mexico is really fascinating because we have so many different kind of climates and microclimates and all kinds of different terrain. And there is some beautiful stuff out here. I do have to give it that. And there's some wonderful, wonderful uh, adventures to be had still, even knowing I've been driving here for 22 years now. There's still some stuff that amazes me. Well, I, I, I definitely uh, developed a bit of an infatuation with your part of the country when I came out to visit. I, I, uh, I, I was all about the desert southwest, much more than I expected to be. Uh, I think I, I had kind of a neutral opinion. You know, I was neither uh, positively nor negatively predisposed. And when I got there, I was like, wow, this is really quite a lovely spot. It's um, the general place is lovely. There's a lot of things that happen around here that aren't so, but I don't want to get into that. But I think at some point, I am due for a trip to come to see you, and you are due for a trip to come see me. So we should figure that out at some point in the future. <laughs> oh, I, I agree entirely, and you and Zach are always welcome out here at Malays Motors uh, East Coast General Headquarters, and um, hopefully you can make it out one of these days sooner rather than later. 
Which, speaking of, uh, if I if I may hog the microphone briefly, I've got three car shows planned for Malaise Motors for 2024. Uh, there will be <clears throat> Malaise Days LA, which is or Southern California, I should say, which is going to be uh, uh, oh bloody hell, I didn't write my dates down. Um, I'm going to say June third. Never mind. But we got we've got three shows coming up. One of them is going to be in Los Angeles in June. Um, we're going to be at the Greenbrier Concours uh, in Greenbrier, West Virginia, and that's May 4th and 5th. Uh, and we are also planning, this is a big announcement here, on having a presence at the Woodward Dream Cruise, which is uh, August 19th, if I remember correctly. Nice. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. I need to get uh, to promoting that uh, more more aggressively, but uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a PR person, sweetie darling. PR, PR. <laughs> That's one of my biggest problems with my YouTube channel is my like inability for real um, putting myself out there on the social platforms and really advertising and you know Instagram and post and this and that. I'm so terrible at it. I think I know how to do it and then I get frustrated and I really need to find somebody who is uh, bored and wanting to be able to bomb many different things for advertisement and PR stuff for my YouTube channel. But that is here nor there. And of course, one of the things that makes achieving youtube success difficult now is the algorithms are they they push if something becomes popular the algorithm pushes that to the top so more people see it and it becomes more popular and it continues to push down other content even if the other content might be good uh it it makes it hard to succeed oh the youtube algorithm i could go on for days about that but in other news i recently got uh, I'll say quote unquote monetized because I did get monetized, but YouTube changed a couple of things in the past few months to where they have two different levels of monetization. One is they lowered their public watch hours down to 3000 public watch hours within a 12 month period where you can get into the monetization program and you can get what they call super likes, which is where people can just like donate money through the chats or memberships where you can have exclusive membership uh content which i'm still trying to figure out and i'm very very close i mean if if i play my cards right hopefully in the next couple of months to getting monetized for ad revenue to where i actually start getting paid for my videos because i'm three years in now and i would like to make some money well i certainly hope that works out for you and you become uh i hope you put the mr 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 quirky out of business i almost did a video recently where i was reviewing a car and I was going to start out my video going, this is a 1973 Saab 99, which I did a review video on, which was amazing. But I decided to not even try and make a funny joke about that because I know people would be like, oh my God, my, my, my. so I didn't even try. Well, yeah, well, the, the, actually, this is a middle-aged, cliched automobile YouTube presenter. Isn't he quirky? Oh, God. But I do have to say, I uh, met a few months ago at a gathering for uh, the steam train here. It was a photo shoot. I met this young man who's 21 years old who grew up in a family of very unique Saab enthusiasts. And he owns a beautiful 1973 Saab 9.9 that he let me do a video on and just drive around the parking lot. And I'll tell you what, I never thought that I would be so madly in love with a car as I was by driving an early 9.9. It was... Oh, it was something. I have never sampled one, but they're... The word iconic is overused to the point that it makes me want to stab people. However, the Saab 99 is an iconic automobile. It is one of the one of the few instances when you can use the word without irony or and justifiably. 
Oh, 100%. Because, like, you can find an older Saab 9.6. Even some of the two-strokes come up for sale. And, you know, the Saab 9.6 had the four Tano V4 in the conventional-style front-wheel drive, you know, like for Audis, at least, you know, with engine, transaxle, and you have a unique body. But the 9.9 was such a departure into their own world of cars to having that reverse engine with the transaxle that, you know— the flywheel was up front and it had the power takeoff down to the transaxle, which then ended up morphing into the Saab 900 that everyone loves and enjoys. But, you know, the 9.9 is really not common and they're so hard to find, especially an early one. And I'll tell you what, it was, it, it really made my heart putter. I was amazed at how much I really enjoyed the platform and how it felt. It was, it was beautiful. It really was. Oh, you, you definitely sound um, lovelorn would be the word, and and understandably so. Uh, I wonder, is this uh, young, I assume this young gentleman is, is on the social media tubes? Uh, he is a little bit. Uh, he actually just graduated college last month, and I think he's going back up to his family's place in Colorado, if I remember right, but I do have some contact with him. Ah, very good. Well, I'm glad it's... You know, and this is a great. This is actually a great note to end on because it does look like we're getting near time. Oh uh, you know, the 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 young enthusiasts are out there. You say this guy's 21, 21, um, and he's got a, a Saab 99 that he cherishes. So I think that's that's uh, that is heartening. It, you know, as long as we've got guys like that and gals and whatever else you might wherever else you might be in the guy gal spectrum who are enthusiastic. Uh, that's that's. That's a way to keep roads open for those of us who still like to drive our own cars. It was absolutely refreshing being able to meet him and talk to him and his passion talking about the technical side of the car and his love and enjoyment. I even asked him, I was like, you're 21 years old. Why a 73 Saab? Why an old car? And he said, simplicity. It brought him joy and he absolutely loved it and learning about it and being able to keep it alive it really brought him such a level of uh just love and i was like that is it was such it was so great to have met him but anywho we are quite at time um off camera and microphone brian and i are going to set up for at least the next few months and we're going to start scheduling and doing some more uh i'd say scripted episodes where we really get into specific technical details or talk about something unique of you know what we enjoy talking about and start having our guest on and i know i've been talking to jeff because we are due darn it for an amc episode we need to have one. Oh yeah we the, <clears throat> those of you who've reached out and would like to uh, be guests on the show we have absolutely not forgotten about you but as carrie and i talk about pretty much every episode we do this when our schedule allows and uh, you know it can be hard to get everyone's uh, respective schedules to align so we haven't forgotten we're not we're not being lackadaisical we are just doing the best we can with the resources we have and i do have everyone's contact information still who have emailed because a couple of people have and we will start scheduling as uh, moving forward and getting people on and uh yes onward and upward to more wonders of growth and fantastic things in motors and martinis for 2024 excelsior Indeed. Anyways, well, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up on this. Thank you so much for listening. It is Motors and Martinis Podcast at gmail.com. And as usual, thanks again. We really appreciate the support and all the comments and uh, people who reach out to us. We'll catch you on the next episode.